It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. And I'm one Hi, welcome to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro. Sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Hey, Dick, how you doing? <laughs> Good. Good to see you, Doug. You can hear me well. I'm in Florida. can hear you fine. You know, uh, you know I would envy of, you, but the weather there was worse than here. <laughs> it's getting better right now. You know, it's funny. They say, you know, it's Sunday. You know what that means? Well, for me, you know what it means. Macaroni day. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's good. Okay. I had a great pun just earlier today. For those who were listening to the Rudy show, um, Rudy was talking about how uh, Biden wants U.S. tanks to be powered by as electric vehicles. <laughs> and uh, he was saying that we'll get into a firefight and the tank will be fighting and then the charge will run out. <laughs> so uh, I said, well, you know what they'd say? Charge! <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> I love Rudy. You do? Yeah. Okay, we'll play it when you get it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. You got it? Christian? Nope. Okay. And the worst thing is they want to make our army tanks all electric so that we can go in and we can blast the hell out of a foreign country, but we'll do it in an environmentally friendly way. <laughs> These people are crazy. Crooked Joe puts China first. Okay. He puts Asia first, Ukraine first, illegal aliens first, so, environmental um, maniacs first. I love Rudy Giuliani. And uh, and I hope everybody does. This man cleaned up the mob. He uh, stopped. He really dethroned the mob from its place of respect in the country. He um, cleaned up the Department of Justice. He uh, was the, really the major force in stopping fraud on Wall Street. And then he completely saved New York City, the city I love and the most amazing and unique city in the world. Absolutely. And he saved it. The mayors since then, including Adams and de Blasio, have been trying to undo it, but they couldn't undo all the good work that Rudy did. Right. Um, now Rudy is fighting for freedom, and uh, that's how we have to see his representation of Trump and his activities in litigation. Right. And uh, he's suffering for it. He uh, just uh, There was a judgment just entered that requires him to pay $148 million in, in um, damages for defamation uh, by two plaintiffs. And he's suffering financially. Uh, Rudy's apartment was put up for sale. In at least one legal case, the former federal prosecutor is also taken to representing himself. Next month, some of Giuliani's ex-lawyers sued him for what isn't, they say is nearly $1.4 million of unpaid legal bills. But through it all, Rudy Giuliani.
know, Dick, can I just say something? Yeah. I'm careful, don't worry. Um, New York, how we cleaned up New York. I was in the city about late 70s, all the way till lately. I right bet none now. of our listeners realize you were in New York. <laughs> I, I know, because I'm always in Florida. There's no way Florida. they can tell, right? No, no, right. I don't mean that. I mean, oh, when my, you open your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> what does Paul say? How do you know I'm Italian? Very easily. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I was in the city in the mid-70s from high school on in my artwork and apprenticeship and whatnot. Times Square had heroin and peep shows. It was horrible. Rudy became mayor, and there's a Disney store. It's beautiful. It became the most beautiful area, but it was such a crap hole, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. now it's just they, he cleaned it. That's all I want to say. I'm done with that. So um, <clears throat> I was careful, right? Yeah. So uh, Rudy is in trouble, and uh, I just want to tell you that he's in financial trouble, uh, and, he's, uh, and they're trying to drag, drive him down. Yeah. Okay, I just want to note that uh, I made a contribution to Rudy by going to his website, uh, and uh, and I am um, very glad I did. Yeah, me too. Okay, um, one of the big things that's going on, and it's huge, is the Supreme Court is now going to consider the issue of the January sixth convictions, mm-hmm. uh, for which some people are still in jail. I believe there are some people actually in solitary confinement over this. <laughs> and this has become the basis of the democratic mythology that this was a danger to democracy, this was uh, an insurrection, this was a threat to American society. And that narrative is very important to the cases being brought against Trump. And it's completely crazy, it's totally fraudulent. And now the Supreme Court has accepted certiorari, which means at least four judges agreed to review this statute, and they could throw it out completely, along with the convictions of the January 6th rioters and along with at least two of the four counts in the indictments of Trump. Here comes the story of the So this Supreme Court acceptance of certiorari, which means they'll they'll hear the case, mm-hmm. uh, is terribly, terribly important. It would absolutely cripple the legal actions against Trump, and would empower uh, the Trump supporters, and would un- make people understand that MAGA is a peaceful movement of people that really are patriotic and care about America, and the media is trying to the left, but led by the left, to defame them in the same way that they did the Tea Party movement and, uh, and, and have tried to make, it appear, make them appear unpatriotic. And when I come back, we're going to talk about that case and what the odds are that we can win that case. Great. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro and sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Hey, buddy. 
the um, case we're talking about that could overturn the January 6th convictions and all of the rhetoric surrounding it that underpins the Democratic campaign and also underpins the indictments of Donald Trump is called Fisher versus United States. And uh, it moves to dismiss all of the January 6th indictments, uh, expunge the records, and and basically end the, the, rig, the charade that's going on of saying that this was an insurrection. Now, this case was originally brought by um, a guy who was actually convicted uh, under, the, under the act and has spent several years in jail. And uh, his name, obviously, is Fisher because the case is Fisher versus United States. Mm-hmm. Now, the district court, the lowest federal court, ruled in favor of Fisher throwing out the case. The government appealed, and a three-judge panel of the circuit court voted two to one against Fisher and to sustain the convictions. And now it's gone up to the Supreme Court, and four of the nine judges, the minimum required, uh, have voted to hear the case, which means they they are probably going to vote against the statute. And there may also be a fifth or a sixth vote. They just needed four to get certiorari. Now, the law that this case was brought under is part of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act of 2002. It was enacted after one of the big financial panics and the runs on banks, and particularly in view of banks fraudulently um, stating the value of assets that was completely fictitious, and uh, and it was it was part of what was called the subprime crisis. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, uh, the, the 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 statute that they passed in the, this amendment that we're contesting was designed to stop the destruction of documents uh, in, cor- in corporate litigation. Uh, it, it's a statute that was crafted to prevent tampering with evidence in official proceedings. It can be used to prosecute act- can it be used to prosecute acts of violence in the context of a public demonstration. It's obviously a reach because it was based for white-collar crimes. Prosecutors usually in these cases use the obstruction of justice charge. Uh, but now they, but in this case, it would be more appropriate uh, to use things like insurrection or seditious conspiracy to describe how members of the pro-Trump mob disrupted the counting of the electoral votes. Mm. But they didn't do it. Smith didn't do it because he knew he couldn't meet the burden of proof for that. So instead he's going on tampering with evidence and destroying evidence, something really that's more designed for dealing with the paper shredder than with the mob. And hmm. uh, the and, and uh, now this case is really a stretch to be justified by this statute, and particularly something of this high profile with these many defendants, can now convicted people who've been suffering, I think it's like 300 people that are in prison over this. And, uh, and, and it's a real question as to whether... Uh, whether this statute is appropriate because it's primarily aimed at white collar crimes. Can I can I jump in here? Yep. Originally, we talked about uh, you did that. This is basically, and they did not do this. That it was the reason why they, the prosecutors went after Trump was insurrection, and then he couldn't yeah. run for president again. And that turned that didn't work for them, so they went to this. So. 
Yeah. I just wanted to mention that, you know, right. that was the original intent of the prosecution. No. Yeah. You're correct about that. Uh-huh. So um, the judge that threw out this case in the federal district court said the law required defendants to take some action with respect to a document, record, or other object, which they didn't in this case. In other words, they didn't try to shred documents or try to right. block the, the process of counting electoral votes. Mm-hmm. They had a demonstration. Uh, some of them broke into the Capitol. Some of them were let into the Capitol. But to say that they were trying to stop the counting of the electoral votes and therefore they were obstructing an official proceeding is is really totally inappropriate here. And a stretch. Yeah, a, a big, big stretch. Uh, this was aimed at curbing corporate malfeasance by outlawing things like destroying documents or tampering with witnesses or evidence, and there's no indication that this happened at all. In fact, Fisher uh, arrived at the Capitol after Congress had recessed, after the electoral votes were counted. The joint was closed, and uh, he can't possibly have impacted a congressional proceeding that was not happening and did not resume for six hours. So even just the technical facts of the charge are obviously fraudulent. And, uh, and, and therefore, this thing really should be dismissed. Um, perhaps notable among those affected was a guy named Jacob Edward Lang, who was one of the uh, plaintiffs in this case, uh, who uh, eyewitness accounts and films show that he repeatedly tried to save lives during the onslaught of the violence near the U.S. Capitol Tunnel. And as you know, the only death in this process was a demonstrator named Roseanne Boyland, uh, who was there completely and instantly, and uh, was there for a civil protest and and was shot in that. The other injuries were injuries to police officers, that were part of the process. It was not this, this, by the demonstrators. This guy, Jacob Edward Lang, he's in jail right now? Yep, yep. <laughs> and it's shown that he was trying to help people? Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, this is part of an F. This is the January 6th committee. Let's just go to that. Mm-hmm. Was set up, as soon as January 6th happened, Nancy Pelosi said, this is a insurrection, this is terror. They were trying to close down the U.S. Capitol and was right. part of Donald Trump's effort to stop the Electoral College from electing Joe Biden and to overturn the election. In fact, Trump and his allies, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, asked that the count be paused and be remanded to the states that were questionable where the results were close to order them to see if the voting was accurately reflected and see if the count was correct. And about 25 senators joined him in that. So they were not trying to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power. They were not trying to overcome the election. They were calling for an audit. That was the most horrible, violent thing that they did, an audit. And uh, then Pelosi said that this was the worst thing that's ever happened. I think she actually compared it to the Civil War. And uh, and it was just just not that. What it was was like the Reichstag fire set in 1933 <laughs> uh. when Hitler's people burned down the Reichstag, the capital. Right. And he blamed the communists. And he said, we're under assault. There's an insurrection and a communist revolution coming into Germany. And Hitler, who was the chancellor with the number two guy, 
went to the number one guy, von Hindenburg, the World War I general, who was the president of Germany, and said, please declare a state of emergency and make mm-hmm. me the Fuhrer. Give me dictatorial powers because we're under a revolutionary situation. It was since established that, he had, that Hitler had set the fire and that it was totally a fraud that he was pulling off, and he did. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was the basis for 13 years of the Nazi dictatorship and the Holocaust and World War II that followed. Amazing. Uh, for Nancy Pelosi to, to describe it in these terms is, is insane. She should have described it to Al Gore and George Bush when he uh, yeah. wanted to count everything. Well, that, that's true. And the court ruled against him in that, which I think was un, which I think was wrong. I think the Supreme Court discredited itself by voting along party lines, seven to two, to make Bush the president, uh-huh. when what they should have ordered was a recount. And uh, and there's no question, no knowing how that would go. Did they do that, that in go. Florida, the, the hanging Chad and Harris? Yeah, they they investigated fraud in a couple of in two counties, uh, West Palm and Broward. Right. And they investigated hanging chads, but they did not do a statewide recount, right. which is what they should have done. Uh-huh. Uh, in any case, Pelosi used this insurrection, in quotes, as justification for all of the measures that they took to suppress free speech. And then that was combined with the pandemic that Nancy Pelosi used as an excuse to promote mail-in voting and oppose in-person voting. Mm-hmm. saying it was just too dangerous, saying people had the choice between voting and living. They shouldn't have to make that choice. He's a and whack job. <laughs> what? He's a whack job. Whack job. <laughs> and, Is that Chris? Uh, yeah, and what, what happened then was that, uh, he, was that because of that, Pelosi warned everyone to do mail-in ballots, and half the population obeyed her and half didn't. Right. Uh, about 80 million people voted in person, about 80 million people voted by mail. The 80 million people who voted by per- in person... All died, right? They all died. Yeah, who defied Nancy's warnings and voted. There was no increase in mortality because right. of COVID. None. Mm-hmm. Totally a hoax. And the 80 million that voted by mail, we'll talk about them later, but there's increasing evidence that they committed voter fraud unconsciously. Then when... We sued and tried to get the court to adjudicate it. Democrats at every level moved to dismiss the cases. And in the state courts, they relied on the fact that they were Democratic judges. And the judges would not do what they should have done, which is to appoint a special master for each state with subpoena power who could take all of the ballots, scrutinize them, and give us an accurate understanding of what happened in the election. Mm -hmm. Then when we appealed to federal court... The federal court said, no, we're just, we're not triers of fact. It's not our job to say what happened. It's our job to say what the law is. And therefore, they affirmed these cases. So there was never a fair adjudication of this election. They're saying that 60 times the courts ruled, yeah, the trial courts were Democrat, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't permit the kind of scrutiny that was necessary. And the appellate courts and the federal court were simply confined to matters of law, and there were no real legal issues. In They're this. just kicking a can. So then on January 6th, the frustration boiled over, and these people went to demonstrate in Washington, mm-hmm. as is their constitutional right. The president went on the air and appealed to them to do it peacefully and um, peacefully and I think reverently or something, right. patriotically and peacefully. Right. And uh, then 
You don't hear that in fake news. They, and they then never because bring that up. some of the demonstrators went far and went crazy, and there was violence. Uh, there were over 300 pros- prosecutions launched. Now, it remains to be seen how much of that violence was was uh, instigated by the admittedly more than 20 FBI agents, maybe as many say as many as 100, that had been infiltrated into the demonstration. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of footage that shows people like that instigating the mob. Now, the January 6th committee was established to investigate this. But the Republicans understood that this was completely a hoax. There was nothing to investigate. And they refused to be on the panel. So Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi appointed two Democrats who were basically Republicans, uh, Liz Cheney and, uh, and, and another guy, Ratzinger, Rat, I forget the name. Ratzenberg. No, not Ratzenberg. It was somebody named like that. And uh, they, they were on the panel. And there were six Democrats and only two Republicans, whereas normally it's even. Uh-huh. And they produced this very biased report. And they examined hours and hours of videotape that they refused to release to the public so that we had no way of judging for ourselves whether this was, in fact, an insurrection or just a, a Martin Luther King, Gandhi, peaceful demonstration. Right. Now the court is – now the new speaker uh, is ordering – those tapes to be made public, and we will all see for ourselves things like what Lang said about escorting people to safety. And there is also now affidavits from the FBI that a minimum of 20, in, which, which Christopher Ray has admitted, mm-hmm. and a maximum of two or 300 federal agents infiltrated the group and caused the riot. And we'll be able to look at the footage and understand that. But most importantly, we'll be able to review the law of this case, and the court will rule on whether or not this is a proper prosecution or if it's just finding a statute. Uh, One dictator once said, I think Stalin said, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Right. And that's really what we're looking at here. And uh, we'll finally get a chance to look at that and to adjudicate this. I would imagine there is going to be a lot of suing going on from the people that are in jail right now. Yeah, they will, but first let's get them out right. and get these That's convictions horrible. thrown out. Uh. And let's pull the rug out from under the Democratic Party that's basics its entire campaign now on saying, oh, Trump is going to overthrow the government, Trump is going to make it a dictatorship, Trump is like Maduro and, Ch- and Chavez, yeah. and we can't let him get reelected because... He'll do horrible things. And That's, they're taking out of context the statement that Trump made when Hannity asked him, are you going to be a dictator? And he was being sarcastic. He told me that. And I said, I know. sarcasm is lost on these guys. That's and right. he said, well, on day one, I'm going to insist there be a wall built and insist that we drill, baby, drill. But after that, no. And uh, in fact, by dictator, he meant that he would push the stuff through quickly. Right. And he would use all the authority we that all he has that. to do they, that. They have to use so, it. But the basis of their rhetoric is October is January 6th. And we need to undercut that and pull that rug out from under them. And that's what this case is all about. Mm-hmm. And that's why it is terribly, terribly important. Much more than for justice, because I think it's 327 people who were convicted, many of whom were in jail. It's to undermine the perception that MAGA is a um, is a violent movement seeking to overthrow the government and an insurrection. 
And that's why this is terribly, terribly important. That's the epitome of uh, projecting, right? They're projecting what they do yep. on us. Yeah, they are. Uh-huh. So uh, when we come back, we'll deal with the larger question, which is why Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, is rushing, rushing, rushing to <laughs> try to get the Supreme Court to take the case to decide if Trump, the president, has immunity, and hoping for a ruling that he doesn't so he can proceed to frame Trump with these trials. And these four, these 91 felony counts. We'll talk about that when I come back. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in Hi, welcome to the Dick Morris Show. This is Dick Morris, and I'm here with my friend Doug DePiro, an advisor and consigliere, and we're sponsored <laughs> by the Patriot Gold Group. Thank now, you, sir. Jack Smith, the special prosecutor in the Trump case, has asked the Supreme Court to rule on the question of whether the president has immunity for stuff he did while he was in office, or whether he can be prosecuted criminally. Uh, traditionally, the courts have taken the view that for stuff he did while he was in office, your remedy is impeachment, which the Constitution says is your remedy, and that you can't bring a criminal case uh, just like he's an ordinary private citizen. And that was enacted because the founders understood that we needed to protect the president against basically runaway prosecutors and prosecution from political opponents. Exactly what's happening now. Yeah, that would accuse him of horrible crimes and mm. uh, and really and, and really dis- destroy the country put it in, put it into uh, neutral for for years mm-hmm. so they said your remedy is impeachment and that meant you need two-thirds of each house of Congress and it was very hard and it's been very rare so now Smith is asking can I prosecute Trump's uh, criminally uh, for outside of the impeachment process the things that he did while president and what he's doing now is that normally – so Trump, in answer to that, filed a motion saying, I had immunity. He can't sue me. And uh, the Trump and the uh, Trump people then said, we're going to take this up to the Supreme Court. The district judge was this woman, Shunkin, Shunkin who is uh, an obvious Trump opponent who's been opposing Trump her whole, his whole political career uh, – throughout the uh, by the Trump challenge, and now it's on its way up to appeal to the Circuit Court of Appeals. Now, the normal process is the Circuit Court looks at it, asks the cases for brief, briefs, has oral arguments, then rules on it. Then the loser can appeal or can ask to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, then can accept or reject the case, and then rules itself. Now, there is no way on earth that that process is going to happen before Election Day. 
But what's with Election Day? Why does Election Day some kind of rule? Will the evidence go away? No. Will there be new developments in the case? No. Are any of the defendants, like Donald Trump, planning to flee the country? No. (laughs) So what do you need to do this by Election Day? And the answer, there's only one answer to that question. Right. He needs to do it by election day so he can run, so Biden can run and say, Are we, do we want to reelect a convicted felon to the presidency? It's to justify that line and make that something that they can use in the campaign, that this entire prosecution is being brought. Nobody seriously thinks they're going to punish Donald Trump. Uh, they probably are never going to even consider imprisoning him unless it be for violating a gag order that it shouldn't be. But the whole purpose of this is to get this in the bag adjudicated by Election Day to justify that one line of campaign propaganda. Can you possibly elect a convicted felon to the presidency? And also Uh, distract him from his campaign, right? Yeah, well, then they're also trying to use the trial itself to do that. Right, right. Because there's a law that says, a rule that says, the defendant has to be present during the trial. And when you add up all the things they're accusing Trump of unjustifiably, he would have to be in court from basically March until August. 700 uh, days a year. <laughs> yeah, while the election campaign is going on. Horrible. He couldn't be in debates. He couldn't be in speeches. He could, I guess, if he stays in New York within a taxi ride of the court but or Washington. But in any case, it's all designed to screw up the Trump campaign. I just got a visual so, of him hailing a cab. Yeah, right. <laughs> so so, so Trump said, uh, I'm sorry, Smith said, this is in Matin's matter imperative of public importance that the trial play take place before Election Day. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the reason they want this trial is they want a D.C. grand jury to decide the case because in D.C. Biden got 92% of the vote and Trump got 5%. And they want to tell the rest of the country that Trump was a criminally convicted felon. And are you going to vote for a convicted felon? So they've stacked the process. They've loaded the law. They got a judge who was very unfavorable to Trump. And I think actually was, I think there was even some contributions to Biden. I'm not sure about that. Right. But, um, and now what they're trying to do is jam it through before Election Day. You know, the Republicans should do the exact opposite with Biden, with uh, Hunter Biden, so his father can't pardon him, try to get that all of his, yeah. his legal yeah, stuff but, done after but, the election. But we can't. Where's cause, Hunter? Because <laughs> they control the Department of Justice, so we can't do that. I know, I know. Uh, now, um, there's now on another subject, there's been a bipartisan committee, and it really is bipartisan, And uh, it has done a fantastic job of looking at China and saying, what can we do as the United States to stop China from from taking over the world? What can we do to stop China from uh, prospering while we're uh, suffering as a result of their conduct? It should be, what would Donald Trump do? Yeah, and this really is basically an agenda that they put out there for Donald Trump. Right. Congress isn't going to pass this, but Trump right. probably will. And therefore, it's it's very useful that they did that. Uh, credit to uh, to Michael Gallagher, uh, the congressman from Wisconsin who mm-hmm. proposed this, uh, and also to, and pardon me, I can't pronounce the name, Raja, a Democrat, Raja Krish, Krish K-R-I-S-H, 
Man, M-A-N, O-O-R-H-I, Chris Manchuri. Chris Namorthy. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. And uh, she, he's the, he or she, I don't know, is the Republican who's chairman of the committee. Mm-hmm. And uh, they made, they gave a very extensive report, uh, over 100 pages, of recommendations of things that the Congress ought to consider or ought to do. Good. It's amazing that it was bipartisan, absolutely amazing. And uh, good, for the, good for Gallagher for steering that through. But this is the list of stuff that we need to do to protect our country. The United States has a lot of fight left in it, yep. and this is a practical guide to what we can do. It starts with the idea of more tariffs on Chinese goods. Uh, now, what happened was when China was admitted to the World Trade Organization, basically by bribing Bill Clinton, and I recount that story in my new book, Corrupt, The Inside Story of Biden's Dark Money, and I begin it with the inside story of Clinton's dark money that I had a front row seat for. When the House Committee asked me about it, I said, well, I wrote the ads, but I had no idea we were sending out to Chinese food to pay for it. <laughs> and, um, You're a funny guy, Dick Moore. Yeah, You're a funny guy. I get my wit rises to the level of a House Committee. <laughs> uh, then, and the name of this committee, by the way, that issued this report is the House Select Committee on the Strategic Competition Between the United States and the Chinese Communist Party. Right. Terrific. So... When Trump, but when China got into the World Trade Organization, uh, they used it not to push free trade, but to take advantage of loopholes in the law and dress them up by saying we're following the World Trade Organization. So, despite that the WTO World Trade Organization prohibits manipulation of their currency, they manipulated theirs blatantly to try to lower the cost of their products in the United States. So we would buy cheaper products. <laughs> Uh, and put American manufacturers out of business. Wow. Three card Monty. It also provided that you can't subsidize exports. You can't say this should cost a hundred dollars, but we're paying fifty of it. So Mr. Consumer, you just have to pay fifty, mm. which means nobody's gonna buy American goods, they're gonna buy the subsidized Chinese <laughs> goods. The WTO prohibited that. And as soon as China got into the World Trade Organization, they did both of those things. And uh then Trump came in and he said, I'm going to raise tariffs on China. And people said, what about the World Trade Organization? He said, they violated it, they violated the rules, and therefore I'm allowed to do what I'm doing. And he Gotta raised tariffs by to, to 40, 25 and 40% tariffs. And the effect was enormous. Uh, Chinese exports to the United States dropped by one-third. And all of those manufacturing jobs began to come back, and it was magical what happened. Now, those tariffs are still in effect, by the, the way. The dude is amazing. And, and, and they've survived. Biden hasn't dared to repeal them. But um, <clears throat> so the question really is, do we bring the tariffs back? Do we also have high tariffs? 
Now, when Trump proposed and put in place those tariffs, the whole Washington establishment went crazy. All of most, many of them on the Chinese payroll as sure. lobbyists, and uh, they, including Biden, and they said, uh, "No, you can't. If you do that, there'll be a trade war. If you do that, China will uh, impose tariffs on our products, and uh, our products will be less competitive. And for every job we gain, we'll lose a job, and we won't be able to get cheap Chinese raw materials for our goods, and our inflation rate will soar." And it'll throw our economy into a depression. None of that happened. None of it. Everybody agrees none of that happened. Um, China, it ended up that for every $5 that China made in trade with the U.S., uh, we made $1 in a trade with China. So our $1 was jeopardized but quickly replaced. And as for inflation, when China's products became more expensive, we developed markets for new products. And we got new suppliers and a new supply chain. And that worked perfectly until COVID disrupted those supply mm -hmm. chains. And it's continuing to work well. So there was nothing that happened that vindicated those prophecies. Mm. But now the same people are making the same claims that, oh, my God, this would destroy us if the recommendations of this committee are followed. And it wasn't true then. It wasn't true now. The second thing they said is secure our supply chains for critical materials. And I've talked extensively on the show of rare earth minerals yep. that are the essential elements in electric batteries that are used to power solar energy and wind turbines and, for what it's worth, electric cars. And everything. And phones, ev TVs, everything. Computers and most yeah. of our military systems. Uh -huh. And uh, China has, is doing everything it can to corner the world market on rare earth minerals. Mm. What they're doing, which I explain in my book, Corrupt, which I hope you get, is they are going to third world countries that have large reserves of these minerals. And they go to corrupt dictators, not to democracies, but to the dictators. And they say, mainly in Africa, hey, you need a new airport. And the dictator says, I don't really need a new airport. Nobody comes to my country. <laughs> <laughs> and they, not a joke. <laughs> and they say, uh, well, we think you need an airport. And here's... 400 million bucks for a new airport. <laughs> That's it? Yep. And the dictator yeah. says, well, I don't need okay. it, but if you think I do, I'll take it. And he takes the 400 million and goes right to his Swiss bank account and puts the 400 million in there. And China says, hey, wait a minute, guy. This is a loan, not a grant. And he says, oh, okay, what happens if I don't repay the loan? And China says, well, we'll tell you what we'll do. We'll get a lien on your rare earth minerals and your uranium and other natural resources. So if you don't repay this loan, we can seize these rare earth minerals and these uranium resources to get our loan repaid, and that would be legal. The dictator spends his $400 million, skips the country after his term is up or he's overthrown, <laughs> goes off to Switzerland and lives happily ever after. Wow. So nice. this committee wants to stop that. It wants to get the job. United States to take measures to secure to secure our supply chains, particularly rare earth minerals. Right. And the third big thing it wants to do is to ban TikTok, which is this mass social media site that almost 100 million Americans, largely young people, watch and listen to. And the thing about TikTok is their news broadcasts are totally biased. And where are the kids getting all this garbage about Palestine being suppressed and being under occupation right. and needing to be free and all of that stuff and 
the whole leftist line, a big part of the getting that is from TikTok, which is basically the Chinese equivalent of what used to be Radio Moscow, where where the propaganda would be broadcast. Mm. Goebbels, the Nazis did the same thing. Right. And what they recommended is to ban TikTok. And a lot of commercial interests are opposing that, but they're wrong. They also want to grant special tax benefits to small companies, focus on emerging technologies to compete with China. And then the most important thing, they want to revoke China's permanent normal trade status, PNTR, uh, relations, not status. And the P- normally before China got into the World Trade Organization, because Clinton put it, put it there, the, every year China had to come to Congress and beg for normal trade status. And Congress every year was able to vote on whether they should get it or not. And that was the cudgel that we used to What does that do for them, normal trade status? It permits them to come into the World Trade Organization for a year and not being being disciplined and not having uh, tariffs. Got it. So, so 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 we would give this every year. That's how we got... The Russian Jews freed. That's how we helped bring down communism in the Soviet Union. But oh, now you use it as a, um, a political bargaining, a yeah, bargaining. as a bargaining chip. Exactly. Got We'd got say it, we'll it. vote for trade status if you do this and this good. and this. Very and good. we gave it away completely hmm. by giving them permanent normal trade status. Right. Now this committee is saying take away permanent normal trade status and make them come and beg for it every single year. And the committee said the United States now has a choice. Accept Beijing's vision of America as its economic vassal or stand up for our security, values, and prosperity. And those are the stakes. And the uh, House committee is wonderful in what they've done. Please get my book, Corrupt, to understand the details of it. I'll come back with more about this because there are more specific provisions about slave labor and stuff like that. Stick around. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. Hi, welcome back to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. There's other stuff in this committee report that is very important. One of them deals with slave labor. Uh, Slavery is alive and well throughout the world. And in China, the Uyghurs, that's spelled U-Y-G-H-E-R, but it's pronounced Uyghur, W-E-G-R, are slaves to China. And in slavery, they uh, go through many, uh, they produce much of Chinese products, and the U.S. government classifies China's action against the Uyghurs as genocide. Mm. But we haven't done anything about it. We've just criticized it. Now, and in fact, she, the Chinese leader, got Biden to eliminate the special office in the State Department that was tracking their crimes against Uyghurs. Mm. So they've actually liberalized that. That's one of the things Biden got in return for all the money he put up that I list in my book, Corrupt. So... The committee called for the expansion of the Forced Labor Prevention Act. And they actually, I think they're passing it. It's a new bill. And it says that it would halt the import of Chinese goods made by forced labor. 
amid Beijing's sweeping crackdown on ethnic Muslim Uyghurs, actions that the U.S. government calls genocide. The law says there would be a rebuttable presumption that these products are made by slave labor. And that means that the companies have to proactively rebut the presumption that they're slave labor and prove that the goods they're importing do not come from forced labor, rather than having the regulators prove that they do. This would have a huge impact on stopping slave labor, not just in China, but around the world. That's it's, some fantastic. It's an amazing proposal. An amazing it's going to collapse those businesses, so That's all right. this cheap Chinese stuff is not going to be so cheap. Well, it's not, this... not just a question of cheap. It's made by slaves. That's what I mean. And the only it's... way we're going to stop that is to get rid of it. Right. Um, um, that, in other words, they're not going to try. They're going to try their hardest to not have to do that because they need that labor yeah, they for do. kids. Uh, the second other provision of this commission says that there should be a U.S. government-sponsored effort to diversify supply chains away from China through tariffs, export controls, trade restrictions, and other initiatives. And they use the term de-risking the U.S. supply chains with China. What does that mean? Well, that we, that we find alternatives to the supply chains. We get uh -huh. other producers. We, for example, we now import a lot of materials from China mm -hmm. that are also made in Vietnam. And uh, we could import the stuff from Vietnam and not buy the Chinese products. Got it. That they call that process de-risking. Mm -hmm. And it's an amazing thing that they've done that, that they're doing that, and that they're proposing this. That's this great. is a, uh, an, a wonderful, wonderful committee. Now, let's go back for a minute to the issue of the uh, election of 2020. Of 2020. Um, there was a proposal... A not proposal, a poll conducted by Rasmussen, a very good polling firm. And they asked people, you know, wonder why that didn't happen before. They asked people, did you commit, did, you, did somebody else, did you mail in your ballot? And they found and they got a sample of people that mailed in their ballots. And it was pretty extensive. If they'd interviewed everybody, they would have had to interview about 25 million people to get wow. all these people. Mm -hmm. And more than 20% of the voters who mailed in ballots in 2020 say they engaged, say they did something that is in fact fraudulent. We didn't say in the poll, did you commit fraud? But 21% filled out ballots for somebody else. Wow. And 17% voted in a state in which they no longer lived. So basically 20% of the country that did mail-in ballots, and that's half the country, so it's about 30% uh, of the country, uh, in effect said, I cast a fraudulent ballot, or I know of somebody who wow, did. Wow, and they admitted that. that that's well, we the didn't thing, ask they're them, admitting it. They didn't ask them, did you do something wrong? We said, did you fill out a ballot for somebody else? Okay, well, that's wrong. Right. And uh, did you vote in a, in a state you no longer live in? So here we have literally a third of the American electorate that is basically admitting that they engaged in voter fraud. Hmm. What am I doing here? <laughs> 
He's comfortably numb. Thank you, Hank Williams. Yeah, very good, Dick. <laughs> so, yeah, that was Hank Williams. I could. I'm yeah, trying to think of who yeah. that was. So, um, so I mean, we have this. I mean, it's it's, it's basically proof. Wow, uh, not admissible in a court of law because they don't respect things like margin of error and polling and stuff. But uh, it really is important, and it cl- certainly gives you a tremendous confidence that Trump was right, that this election was rigged and fixed. The courts have not heard the cases. They've not heard the evidence. And anybody who says that Trump is wrong for this, just cite this poll for them. Rasmussen polling, uh, 20% of the voters who used mail-in ballots in the 2020 election of Joe Biden say they, they either filled, discovered filled-in ballots, gave filled-in ballots to somebody else, or they voted mm. in a state in which they no longer lived. Incredible, yeah. incredible findings. And You're not going to change the moron mind. Yeah, but they'll change a lot of people's minds. So combine this right. with the revisiting of January 6th and with the fact that the January 6th convictions may be thrown out and this evidence, and you really have a sea change that is coming in this country in the attitudes toward Donald Trump. It may be part of his surge in the polls, and he's continuing to surge, but uh, it is absolutely wonderful, and we're winning. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. <clears throat> yes, I'm stuck in the middle. Hi, welcome back to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. It's my honor, Dick Morris. Well, we're having a good time. That was a great hour. <laughs> First hour. Um, Absolutely. There is a bill that has been introduced by uh, Senator Britt. What's her first name? Uh, I don't have it here. Uh, she uh, is the new senator from Alabama. And... Um, it's a wonderful bill. It's co-sponsored by Ted Cruz and a bunch of really good Republicans. Katie Britt, okay. Um, and it's it's a fantastic bill, and it has no chance now, obviously, with the Senate in Democratic hands. But I bet that this comes up to number one or two or three on Donald Trump's agenda. This bill will give states the power, states, the power to verify the citizenship of those who ask for mail-in registration of voting. In other words, right now, the states can let anyone vote they want to that meets state qualifications. But with the shift of registration from in-person registration to mail-in registration, there is no real way to check who you're registering to vote. You can't ask them to show you the passport or their driver's license, stuff like that, because it's all done by mail. And this will give the state the power to verify the citizenship of those who vote. Uh, and this is important because several blue states, including New York, have passed laws opening voting in local elections to foreigners, uh, at least in municipal elections. The, uh, this legislation would amend the Voting Rights Act to allow states to require proof of citizenship for those applicants registering to vote 
in federal and state elections by mail. The accusation that New York Democrats tried to give municipal voting rights in local elections to a a million foreign nationals living in the city in 2021, uh, that law that the city council passed was thrown out by the New York State Supreme Court. But we've not gone the next step, which is trying to prove that they are, in fact, citizens. The whole idea we're talking about this is, is freaks me out a little bit, you know? Well, there's a real effort by the left to try to legitimize the rights of illegal immigrants. Uh, they don't call them illegal. They call them undocumented yeah. uh-huh. and uh, to, to give them. And it's a big effort it's that they should serve on juries. Some even have them admitted as lawyers, can be admitted as lawyers, uh, and and all kinds of rights. And this key element is they want them to be able to vote. These They've got 15 sick. million people, half of whom probably came into the country in the last three years. And they're losing the Hispanic vote. They're losing the election. They're desperate to let these people vote. So this is their last-ditch effort? Yeah, it is. And this is the solution to that effort. Uh, by Katie Britt, and it's a wonderful, wonderful bill. Check it out. (laughs) Check it out. Uh, You don't sing this morning. I think that was John Cougar. He wrote it. He wrote it. There's a group called um, something, the 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 Bounders or something. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but this he wrote. John Cougar Mellencamp wrote it. So this gives the states the right to check it out, Uh, and and I think that this is is so important. The states normally can't. Normally, the issue of whether a person is a citizen or not is is a federal decision. And the states usually don't have the right to check it out. Hmm. But this bill would give them that right. Good. And I think this bill is going to be very high on Trump's priorities after he's elected. Not to be a dictator, but to (laughs) be a democracy advocate and stop fraudulent voting by non-citizens. And stop trying to slip them in. Real ID is a big part of that. Originally, the bill was – originally, back before all this started – uh, everybody said, let's give – everybody said we need to check driver's licenses because that would told you whether you're a citizen or not. And uh, then the left came in and said, oh, aliens should be able to drive. They right. should ha- be able to get car insurance. They California. shouldn't be on the, on the highways if they haven't passed an, or a driver's test. And therefore, we need to have identification for that. And then after the in the ter- after the terrorist period – uh, Congress said uh, you had to have a driver's license or a passport to get on an airplane. So that all, as the Democrats do, rather than raising the people to meet the standards, they lowered the standards to meet the people. <laughs> and they they said, uh, no, we'll, we'll have uh, faux driver's licenses, driver's licenses that let you drive but can't be used for identification for anything else. And they made drive, real driver's licenses something that they call real real ID. And uh, so that was the first step. 
Then they've gone from that to trying to get them in to vote. One state let them become attorneys, uh, practice law. Uh, some states in some California jurisdictions let them run for office. Uh, there are several that have been elected to municipal governments in California. This is all part of not legalizing the immigrants, but changing the law to let them appear legal when they're not. Not and, good. Yeah, not good. And, right. and our friend Ali in Argentina, who's got a lot of money and all kinds of businesses, is having the hardest time getting in and out of the country yeah. and getting status. The people who we want here uh, people who really can bring jobs with them and do a good job and be good Americans can't get in. But all you have to do is go over the border and try to swim your way. I in. told them, I told them, fly to Mexico. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and walk over. You're right. <laughs> okay, now I want to uh, talk a minute about a horrible thing that's happening throughout the country. It's epitomized by Carrie Lake's lawyers, the, uh, the Senate candidate from Arizona who ran for governor, who said the 2020 election was rigged in at Arizona. Court wouldn't hear the case. Court threw out all the evidence. It willfully didn't look at it. Democratic you know, judges just railroaded it. And uh, in 2020, Carrie Lake ran for governor of, Cal- of Arizona. And uh, the same thing happened. The Democrats stole enough votes to force her to lose. And her litigation was tossed out. And now she's coming back and running for the Senate. This time she's got a pretty good chance of winning because it's a three-way race. There's a Democrat, guy named Gallegos, and uh, Kristen Sinema, who was elected as a Republican and has declared she's nonpartisan now. She left the Republican Party, but she's still running for that seat. So it's a three-way fight. And Kerry asked me, should I run? And I said, yeah, you have no problem getting... To 40, your problem is getting to 50. And the three-way race, all you got to do is get to 40. Yeah, that was our meeting we had with her last year. you were with Uh me when I said it. Uh And uh, she's decided to eventually follow that advice, and she's running for the Senate, and I think she has a great chance. And she's tough, and she could handle the media. She's just tough. I've urged Trump to consider her for vice president. I know. Now, um, naturally, because she has been so successful, the... Bar Association, the lawyers in Arizona, are seeking to disbar her lawyers uh, because they, that's because they represented Carrie Lake. Uh, the Attorney Discipline Probable Cause Committee in Arizona filed probable cause orders against her attorneys, Brian Bielham, Kurt Olson, and Andrew Parker, mm. who represented Lake in multiple lawsuits that were filed after the 2020 election. Responding to the move, Lake wrote, this is a sign that they're coming after my attorneys for having the courage to represent we the people, that's her group, in election challenges. The politicized bar association is trying to take away their law licenses. They are suing me for having the courage to speak out about election fraud and maladministration. They're indicting and persecuting President Trump. They're imprisoning journalists. You are next. She's right. No one is safe with this tyrannical government. She is right. That's a quote. And boy, is she right. The network of intimidation is spreading throughout media in the United States and the Bar Association. Uh, They they faced a very serious problem in these election cases in getting attorneys to handle them. 
Trump had problems getting attorneys to handle his case yeah, sure. because they know that they're going to be discriminated against. And right. they thought it was just soft discrimination. I won't work with that lawyer because he represented Trump. Right. But now it's becoming <clears throat> overt. I won't represent Trump because they'll kill me. Right. And they'll yet, sue me. They'll oh, everything. And yet you need to look no further than than all of the litigation that's going on uh, that that intimidates the media. Uh, why do we think that Fox News had to pay seven hundred million dollars to the Dominion voting system, uh, which uh, it said committed voter fraud? Uh, why do we think that we don't hear a lot about the points about non, the uh, January 6th protesters that I spoke about? Why has that disappeared off the radar? Why is every talk show host, every TV show host, every commentator and every reporter in the country watching his P's and Q's as carefully as they used to do in the Soviet Union? Us too. Because you couldn't, because if you said something wrong, you'd end up in the gulag. And we don't send them to the gulag, but what we do is we they get sued. And the cost of litigation are so huge. Right. The attorney's fees are so enormous that they force the people into bankruptcy. That's what it is. And therefore, anybody who challenges this, who goes after this, and really stands up for justice and for fairness in the, any of these processes, uh, is at great risk of being forced into bankruptcy and being bled to death. In fact, there's a word for it. It's called lawfare, warfare by law. And uh, that's what's going on Disney. throughout the country, and we just had an impressive and important example of that in their going after Kerry Lake's lawyers. Unbelievable. Now, let's go to Tony from Clifton. Hi, Tony. Hi. So, yeah, lawfare is the new coup d'etat, but that's not why I call. I wanted to tell you guys, on the January 6th topic, it was stunning. I loved it. And the way I see it is if they're looking at if the Supreme Court is looking at these um, individuals, all these January 6th individuals, and saying, you know, hey, there was no malfeasance, they really didn't do anything, um, I'm hoping that it all points to where the malfeasance was. And here's what I mean. <clears throat> I see malfeasance on the side of the, on the, side of the Congress and Nancy Pelosi. Uh, first malfeasance is that I see everything as, a setup, meaning if they look at the January 6th yes. footage. Show me the crime and I'll show you. Show, tell me the man and I'll show you the crime, what Stalin said. Right. In other yeah. words, if you if you have everybody go back in to resume the count at 8.30 p.m. in the evening. Yeah. We all know that. Yeah. by Mike Pence, there, right. was no, there was no fear of anything. Fear yeah. of fear of. And now the fear has flipped. And it's a fear of complaining, a fear of speaking out. Uh, the very fact that people who challenge election results are now finding themselves prosecuted for obstructing justice. Uh, it's, a, it's a terrible state of affairs. I think it absolutely is. Now, on the January 6th protesters, I believe there will be more and more evidence that this was uh, planted by the FBI. The um, French had a term for that, agent provocateur, <laughs> meaning that we put you in as a cop and you pose as a cop, and this is in the Les Mis, there's a scene from that, and you provoke people into a criminal act, and then they get busted for it. Mm. And uh, you're the agent provocateur. And Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, has admitted 
that at least 20 FBI agents were part of the mob that day, and some estimates are over 100. Wow. And uh, when you speak of the real culprits in the January 6th thing, I think increasingly that is going to point to the FBI, and I think it's, it's absolutely accurate that it does. Thanks very much for your call, Tony. I Thank appreciate you, Tony. that. Let's go to Joe in Brookhaven. Hi, Joe. Hey, Joe. Hi. Happy. Hello. Happy holidays, guys. Hey, good. Uh, I'm just going to piggyback on what you just said. Know, whenever please, anybody uh, says happy holidays to me now, I say Merry Christmas, and I would add in Happy Hanukkah, because it's very important for us to stand up for religion. I do. And get rid of all these stupid generics, euphemisms you know, that are designed to, like Xmas. I hate that. Oh, I hate yeah. that. You know, I, I paint a lot of uh, Christmas windows. I used to all the time. I never, ever would write happy holidays. Happy, I'll say I'll write happy, happy Hanukkah. Yeah. Merry but Christmas. Joe, you were saying, I'm sorry. Go on, Joe. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought I planned on saying, then I got tongue-tied. So I said, happy holidays. <laughs> but I was going to say, I hope you had a nice Hanukkah and Merry Christmas coming up. But uh, I want to piggyback on the January 6th. Because you said one person was killed. There was, uh, well, we know Roseanne Boylan, she didn't, she wasn't the one that got shot. She got beat to death by the cop, Metro cop. We got that on video. You know that. You've seen that. That was sick. And then Ashley Babbitt was murdered. Ashley Babbitt, right. She was shot. In cold blood by Michael Byrd. The other point was uh, the cops dug this up. They were throwing concussion grenades into a peaceful crowd. You could see it. And they were shooting people with the rubber bullets. They some reason, the plants in there started this up. Yeah. Not all the police. Well, that's... Other, one more point real quick was, I wanted, and I'll get off. July 21, Pelosi denied McCarthy's the Republican picks, right, uh, to for a bipartisan right. investigation, Jim Jordan, Jim Banks. That's when she put in the turncoat, Liz Cheney, and that, that worm, Adam Kinzinger. She Kinzinger, Pelosi that's didn't it. want the yeah. truth coming out. Right, absolutely. You're completely right, Joe, and thanks for... Elaborating that, um, so uh, so, but we are coming back, guys. Uh, when you combine the Supreme Court accepting this case, uh, you combine their uh, the questions that are being raised about uh, voter fraud and the information that we have, we are coming back. And I think that more and more, the January sixth will no longer be a date that the Democrats cite but a date that the Republicans cite as the most visible evidence of a conspiracy against the people. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in Now, this following song and topic is a message from Israel to uh, Joe Biden. Interpreted by Bob Dylan. You just want to be on 
Biden is throwing Israel under the bus. And the way he's saying it is, oh, I'm in favor of, uh, of fighting for Israel. I'll give them arms. Uh, but I want to cease fire because uh, I think that Israel is we, – we need to curb Israel's response to the horrific attack by Hamas that killed 1,200 people. And this, by the way, is just a continuation of the anti-Semitism that was rife in World War II. Mm. Uh, when, the, when it became clear that the Holocaust was going on, Jewish groups, including by Chaim Weissman, who became the president of Israel and was the head of the Zionist Organization of America, said, why don't you bomb the rail lines that go to the camps? Why don't you disrupt them? Why don't you bomb the death chambers? You know where the gas chambers are. Why don't you put them on your list of strategic bombing targets? Right. And, uh, and the, uh, the Joint Chiefs refused to do it. Curtis LeMay of the Air Force loved to bomb everybody, but he wouldn't bomb them. And uh, anti-Semitism just rose. Really? And uh, it was under the rubric of, well, we're going to help the Jews by defeating Hitler. But, yeah, that's okay. But you can do much more immediate things that they refuse to do. And now Biden, in the same thing, is saying uh, public opinion might sh- is shifting against Israel and shifting toward Hamas. He said, and I'm quoting, we, we have to be careful. They have to be careful. The whole world's public opinion can shift overnight. We can't let that happen. And oh my the, God. the United States is cheerleading that, saying, okay, now we need to be uh, protective of the of, of the innocent people in Gaza. And uh, right now, there's a tremendous hue and cry because one of the Israeli soldiers, by mistake, uh, some Israeli soldiers shot three of the hostages. Right. And I don't know the facts of it, but I think they were waving a white flag and they couldn't see it or whatever. And now they're saying, okay, that means stop the bombing. You're going to kill the hostages. You're going to kill innocent people. And they're using every excuse they can to protect Hamas and to stop Israel from being aggressive in going after Hamas. So weak. Israel says they want... It's not weak. They're on the wrong side, Doug. Uh, Biden is essentially a pro-Hamas president because he did the main thing that's helping Hamas. This whole thing wouldn't happen if Biden weren't president because he's the one that stopped the oil embargo on Iran. Mm. He's the one that said, go on, export as much oil as you want. And they make $85 billion, which is what they made by selling their oil. Mm. And that money, bit for bit for bit, is coming out in Israeli blood yeah. in these massacres. He's and, a whack job. Yeah, well, he's worse than a whack job. He's, he's an enemy. And, uh, and we have to understand that. So this anti-Semitism is always disguised. And now it's, it was disguised for many decades as, oh, we can't alienate the Arabs because they have our oil. Mm. And now it's obvious that we can have all the oil we want because we have it under our feet. Now they're saying, oh, we mustn't antagonize the Arabs because we want a peaceful settlement. And now they're yeah. saying, don't bomb indiscriminately. Like you should have, you know, bombs targeted at each individual facility and each individual person. This is it's, it's okay. They parachuted into the concert and killed all those people. Yeah, exactly. And have little babies as hostages. Yeah. That's okay. Well, they're saying, oh, it's not okay. We condemn that too. Oh, really? But, oh, but okay. we won't do a damn thing about it. And more importantly, we won't let Israel do it. Uh, yeah, we're telling Israel, you defend yourself. You go right. after Hamas. You go after eliminating them. 
oh, that's too much, that's too far, you're taking it too far. And, and now Biden is saying, I'm not saying you're taking it too far. I'm saying the rest of the world will soon think. That's why I say far. he's weak, because he's, he's bound to that. That's why Biden and, is and weak. Dylan said you got a lot of nerve yeah. saying you are my friend. Uh, uh, let's go to Sandra in New Jersey. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Sandra. Hi, good afternoon. Um, you know, you're talking about Israel, anti-Semitism, and I wanted to talk about Donald Trump. You know, the, um, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I learned a beautiful little story about his father. His father, Fred Trump, um, donated the plot of land where the Beach Haven Jewish Center is now built in Brooklyn, and he contributed to that construction. Rabbi Israel Wagner, who was a Holocaust survivor, he came to Fred for help. And that rabbi, well, the rabbi started organizing these prayer minions in the underground parking garage where they lived, and they had no more room. So then he went to Fred for help because he learned that he's the landlord. I want you to know a deep friendship sparked at their very, very first meeting. There was a mutual love and respect. Their friendship lasted for 48 years. Wow, Fred that's beautiful. Go, yeah. Every week he would yeah. go for dinner with um, with this with this man, this rabbi, and he called he called him my rabbi. Now I just want to add this because this is the most important part. Ronald Donald was 14 years old when this was all going on, and he used to hang around in the laundromat there. And he was a very wild and adventurous boy, the father said. But he learned from the father that you have to have respect for the Jewish people, and his father instilled this in Donald Trump. And you see that with his daughter, Ivanka, who, who became a Jewish person, and the father embraced it, embraced the grandchildren. He's so proud that they're Jewish. So I want to say that this goes way deep, his love for Israel, yeah, his passion for the Jewish I, I people. I can second what you're saying, because my father was Fred Trump's lawyer. <clears throat> and then when he passed on to Donald, my father worked, worked for Donald as well, but uh, you're absolutely right in everything that you're saying. And uh, Sandra, I appreciate you coming on, as I always beautiful. do, but That's what beautiful. you said this time was incredibly important. Now, just as opposition to Israel and anti-Semitism advances masked by other seeing its other causes, so does the effort to stop terrorism and to disempower Hamas and Iran and Qatar and all of these countries. Uh, that also advances masks, but the mask they use is environmentalism. They say, oh, we're just trying to protect the environment. And uh, the, the latest example is that the Democrats are moving to block expansion of LNG facilities, liquefied natural gas, in the U.S., saying that they're harmful to the industry, they encourage fossil fuels, uh, and, it, and they, we need to fight climate change. Okay. And uh, LNG means you take a natural gas that you can't really export because you can't put it on a ship. It's gas. And you liquefy it, and then you can put it on the ship as, in effect, oil, and you can ship it anywhere in the world you want. And then reconstitute it as, as gas. gas. Yeah. Uh -huh. So you need two facilities that are very expensive, one to liquefy it and the other to deliquefy it. Right. And uh, the United States, working with a bunch of countries around the world, is building a lot of these facilities. 
In 2002, the United States exported nearly 7 trillion cubic feet of gas, 20% of our total production. And we exported it mainly to countries like Europe, where we were trying to induce them not to become dependent or not to be dependent on Russian natural gas Mm. after the invasion of Ukraine. And the Europeans said, well, where are we going to get our energy from? And we said, you'll get it from natural gas. And they said, but you have to liquefy it. So the U.S. began building large numbers of liquefying natural gas plants. When was this? When was this? This was uh, right after the invasion of Ukraine. Got it. And, uh, and we were very successful. We, we increased our production to 20% of our total production goes in liquid form to other countries. And now, predictably, when you have something that works really well, the Democrats are trying to kill it. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the Democrats have introduced Ed Markey, senator from uh, Massachusetts, has called on the administration to stop investing in gas plants abroad, noting that the administration has already spent $1.8 billion on overseas fossil fuel plants this year alone along with voting at the World Bank to direct $400 million in new gas financing to poor countries. And then Markey had a line that some PR guy wrote for him, but it's great. The United States can't preach temperance from a bar stool, <laughs> meaning that we're opposing uh, fossil fuels and we want to convert to renewables. Right. Uh, but the point is that this is a very successful U.S. initiative that is absolutely fundamental in curbing Russia's chances of success in Ukraine. And it also gives us an alternative to Iranian and other Arab oil and and gas because we're we're taking our oil and we can export it. The United States uh, now is producing, now is drilling and producing 12 million barrels of oil a day out of the global total of 95 that's produced. But there's, again, half as much of it that we're not selling as exports. We're liquefying into natural gas and shipping to these countries to help them get independent of Russian gas and uh, Russian energy supplies. And now the Democrats are coming in and saying, oh, stop this program. Don't continue to liquefy the natural gas. It could prolong the use of fossil fuels. Well, the fossil fuels are going to be used. The question is, are they going to be used... Uh, are they going to be used for energy or are they going to be used to stop the stop the Russians and the bad actors from taking over the world? And uh, this is a very important program. But again, they're masquerading it as, oh, we're trying to save the environment. We're trying to, to do what the climate change people are talking about. But natural gas is a clean, is a clean burn. Well, it's half clean. Uh, oh. It has half the emissions of carbon. Right. Uh, much cleaner than carbon, much cleaner than oil, but not clean. Uh, it, it certainly is. Uh, it certainly is a is a warming gas. Uh, so they want to replace it entirely with renewable sources, and that's good. Support that, but wait till you can actually do it. Right. And in the meantime, use your ability to liquefy and export natural gas mm-hmm. to try to break the tyrannies in the world. Right. And uh, and I think that's that's very very important. When I come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the price of Bidenomics. Uh, the establishment is pushing the line that inflation is cooling off. The station just broadcast on its news that the Congressional Budget Office, which is a stacked deck, 
says that inflation will be only at two percent in twenty five and it'll be lower than it'll be lower than it is now in twenty four and I'll describe why those numbers are bogus, but also the real price of the inflation that Biden kindled and that is continuing. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Welcome back to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Well, I just quoted to you the Congressional Budget Office and a bunch of economists saying, oh, inflation is down and we've tamed the beast. And um, we've rebuttaled to that. Third box car, midnight train, destination banger, Maine. Oh, worn out suit and shoes. I don't pay no union dues. I smoke old <laughs> stogies I have found. Short but not too big around. I'm a man of means by no means. King of the road. Okay, here's the real stats. Since Biden has been president, the cost of energy has gone up for the average American household. By $3,700 a year. Wow. Food up by $2,800 a year. Housing by $3,100 a year. Transportation, which includes gas prices, by $7,400 a year. So how can they say inflation is down? Because the Consumer Price Index excludes two things that are not covered in it because they say they're too volatile to satisfy the economist's definition of long-term trends. They don't count housing costs, and they don't count food costs, okay? So, I'm sorry, they, excuse me, they don't, count, they don't count energy costs, and they don't count housing costs. Right. So they do count food. So the two things that are exploding, uh, housing and energy, uh, they're not including. And it, clearly, if you rig the deck like that, you stack the statistics, you get the statistic you want. Remember Mark Twain's immortal quote, there are three kinds of lies. Lies, damn lies, and statistics. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) How do you know that Mark Twain said that? So so clearly this is all a lie. The consumer price index is dropping, but believe your own eyes when you go to the market. And Biden has even stopped talking about Bidenomics because... He lost 10 points in the polling while he was doing that. Hmm. When Joe Biden first took office in 2021, the average new home payment, uh, monthly new home payment, was $1,900. Now it's $3,300. Wow. And people can't buy homes. And that affects the whole real estate market and that affects everybody's rent. And uh, since many, most people now have uh, adjustable rate mortgages, which go up when interest rates go up. Uh, We're not cushioned from inflation, and we feel it dramatically. Following the increase in in costs, housing is now less affordable than at any other time in recent history. 
Mortgage rates now exceed 7%, and uh, median housing prices have risen to about 392000 as of October. Wow. Now let's just back up and consider why we have this inflation. We ran – inflation is caused by budget deficits because when the government spends more than it takes in, it pumps money into the economy. And when it pumps money into the economy, people spend the money and there's too much income and too few goods and that drives up prices. The economists say too much money chasing too few goods. Mm-hmm. And when uh, Trump had – the Clinton had a balanced budget for four years. And under Trump, it rose. It was originally – well, before Trump, uh, under Bush, the deficit rose to over a trillion. And that was because of uh, the amount we had to pay to stabilize the financial system after the banking crisis. Then when Trump took office, he brought the deficit down from about $1.2 trillion to about $700 billion. And it stayed about that until the pandemic hit. And then with the pandemic, the Democrats and the Republicans, wisely and well, decided to pump money into the economy and throw money at the problem. And the result was that we could close our economy without impoverishing the entire country. And that was one of the wisest acts of public policy in history. And both parties deserve a lot of credit for doing it, particularly Donald Trump and leading the Republicans to do that. Then the vaccine came out because of Trump. And the death rate dropped dramatically. And the Republicans said, stop spending the deficit. The deficit then went up to $3 trillion in one year. It had been too high at $1 trillion. Now it was at 3 Trump cut it to $700 billion. But Biden said, no, I have a majority in the House and a majority in the Senate. The first time the stars are aligned and after a lot of fraud, I'm in the White House. Sure. So we have all three elements of the government pushing in the same direction – Let's spend more money. And he had this gigantic stimulus package after the stimulus was not needed. Uh, It was completely done. The recession was over. And yet he and the economy was coming back. So the result was that we spent this huge stimulus. The economy recovered and produced lots of money, lots of jobs. The labor market became too tight. People didn't want to work. They left the workforce. They took federal checks instead, and that drove up wages, drove up prices, and kindled the Biden inflation. This isn't just some cyclical thing. This is an absolute mistake made by Biden, and the only way you can characterize this is a mistake. What am I doing here? It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. One of the great things our founding fathers did is they set up a country with 50 state governments. There were fewer then, but there were 13. But the point is the 50 state governments are often called laboratories of democracy, which means they can do things early uh, and, and do things diversely and see how they work. They're experiments, they're labs. And nowhere do we have a better laboratory for democracy than the comparison between Florida and California. Oh, yeah. California's income tax is 13.3%. Florida's is zero. 
California's sales tax is two points higher than Florida's. So, and Florida is flush and California is broke. California is laying off people. They have gigantic budget deficits. They're raising taxes. California is losing 220,000 people a year to other states, uh, mainly Florida and Texas. And that's because they absolutely are screwing up with their spending programs, and they're making it almost impossible to live in California. Um, there's unless another, you're homeless. Yeah, unless you're homeless, right. Uh, I believe the solution to Cal- San Francisco's homeless problem is send President Xi of China on a tour of American cities because wherever he goes, we clean up the homeless problem. Oh. <laughs> we don't want him to see that we have homeless. <laughs> this is not a joke. That's pretty By the way, good. We should do that. Parenthetically, I just watched out of the corner of my eye the news today, and the Democrats are attacking a speech that Trump gave yesterday in oh, New Hampshire, of course they are. where he said that uh, Putin, he quoted Putin as saying that the controversies going on in the United States over the election and over the Justice Department and over the indictments and litigations show how rotten the judicial system in the United States is. It is. And he quoted Putin. Trump quoted, quoted Putin. And now everybody say, oh, we told you he was colluding with Putin. We told oh, yeah. you that he couldn't be relied upon. But he's telling the absolute truth, and so did dear old Vlad tell the absolute truth. You look These at people this are stuff. sick. You look at this stuff and you wonder, is this the United States? You know, let me look at my atlas and GPS, see if I came to the wrong country. I know. Let's go to Jeff in Brooklyn. Hi, Jeff. Yeah, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Uh, I'm calling because before you referred to an Alabama senator who had a brilliant idea for a legislation authenticated voting, and I want to add to it, if you can use your influence, I think that if you could put into such legislation a requirement that you have to sign that you're not voting in more than one place, not another town, not another state, this is my one and only vote, that has to be... That's a great idea. I'll bet it's included in, in what she's doing. Let me just clarify something for you. That is good. Yeah, it is a wonderful idea, and I will pass it on. I think it's in there already. But what Katie Britt is doing is not prescribing new rules for elections. She's authorizing the states to confirm the citizenship of anybody who registered to vote. So it's not infringing on that privilege of the states. But we absolutely should ask states and urge states to include that provision in their law. Uh, Another thing we should do is to tell them don't use voting machines. Use paper ballots mm. uh, because these charges of fraud would not have arisen were there paper ballots used in the United States. And everybody should get in touch with their local representatives, their secretaries of state, and saying, please use paper ballots. And you said that, what, France uses paper ballots? Yeah, all they- paper ballots, and they have a population of 70 million people. And they're counted in one day? In one day, of- yeah. Uh-huh. Now, the one-day thing I don't agree with Trump on. I think we have to encourage early voting, which is a bigger country. But when that early vote is cast, let it be on paper. Let's go to Josh in New York. Hi, Josh. Mr. Morris, distinguished panel, expanding audience. Um, (laughs) The problem right now is not really being addressed. And when it's not really addressed, I know the establishment is in full control. Um, Illegal immigration can only happen because the establishment wants it to happen. Also, this thing about 
legal immigration. Legal immigration brings in over a million, and the Family Unification Act brings in millions of people more. They are left-wing voters. They have transformed this country. But I notice even Republicans will say, oh, I support legal immigration. Well, you better love legal immigration, because when the, the hard left takes over the House of Representatives and the Senate and the presidency, they're going to increase illegal immigration and legal immigration, the 15, 20 million a year, all coming from a third world country. Okay. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate that. And a lot of what you said I agree with. But I want to make the point that Trump has, has stepped in and said we should not confer birthright citizenship, new birthright citizenship on people whose parents came here illegally. And uh, therefore, when a baby is born, you have to verify that the mother and the father are here legally before that baby becomes a citizen. I think that will deal with a large part of the problem you're mentioning. The big big loophole is uh, is children coming in under that clause, and Trump is really curbing that. Okay, when we come back, uh, we will see the truth about electric cars in the United States. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the I want to add a footnote to that ad for Roger Stone's show. Um... I was with Ariana Stone yesterday, who is uh, Roger's daughter, and I can attest to the fact that she is well-groomed, because we were both in the same place getting haircut. (laughs) (laughs) And we chatted. We both love Roger. And uh, I said, actually, I've lost track as to whether Roger's a friend or an enemy, but I think I'll say friend. (laughs) Friend of me. (laughs) Friend of me, yeah, but he's a great guy and a brilliant guy. and do listen to his show. And I think he listens to our show, too, because I saw him a couple of weeks ago, and I said hello. He goes, oh, you're on a Dick Morris show. With well, him. after what I said, I hope he watches. Hope he <laughs> listens. <laughs> okay, so you know all the bit about electric cars. We're going to go all electric by, 2020, by, by um, 2030. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. And Biden called for a several billion dollar program. I think something like 300 billion. I forget the amount. To to convert, to create charging stations throughout the United States. And as Donald Trump said, your car runs out of charge in the middle of a tunnel. And what are you going to (laughs) do? Well, how's the truck behind you push you? This program was passed in 2022 under Biden. And do you know how many charging stations there are now in the United States? No. One. What? One. It happens to be in Ohio. Now, there are other places where you can plug into regular electricity, like you do in your living room, and get your car charged, but not expedited charging. You have to wait all the time. Really? There's only one explicitly created charging station in the United States. I did not know that. Incredible. Now, one of the worst groups in Congress, and that's saying something, is the squad. Uh, the squad is a bunch of now six complete lunatics who are in the Congress. And they're ultra-leftist. They're as anti-Semitic as you get. Yeah. And they are uh, 
Representative Jamal Bowman of New York. Uh, Representative Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts. Um, Representative Rashida Tlaib of Michigan. And, of course, our very own AOC of New York. Sumner Lee of Pennsylvania and Corey Bush of Missouri. Most of these folks came in replacing longtime Democratic incumbents who were basically Democrats and had all kinds of issues that we have with them, but they were normal people. And they basically believed in democracy and they were not anti-Semitic and so on. And they got replaced by these uh, anti-American congressmen. Some of them are ethnically Palestinian and they come from districts with large Palestinian populations. Is that Talib, I think? Talib, right. Yeah. Uh, and She's in Michigan, correct? Yes. Uh-huh. And because the we and what happened here was the United States has a policy that's a very generous one of admitting refugees from all over the world. So when uh, when disaster strikes and the country needs to get help some of its population, we say come to the United States. Right. You heard what the uh, Statue of Liberty said: Give yeah. me your tired, and your hungry, and your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send these all to me. Well, the Democrats saw that as a loophole in our immigration law. Mm. And there was a provision saying that the United States would accept uh, as many refugees as as the world wanted. Mm -hmm. And uh, the U.S. negotiated a cap on the refugees that Biden raised to a million a year. What was it? Uh, Several hundred thousand or Uh less. Uh-huh. But it was really a dramatic increase. Wow. And that's how that's how Rashida Tlaib got elected, because they put all many of the refugees uh, right into her district and right into places. Obama, in Michigan. right? Obama right. did that, didn't they? And the they? state legislatures. Mm-hmm. And the uh, and and as a result, we have a lot of basically anti-American congressmen. Right. Well, APEC, the American Israeli Public Affairs Committee, not a PAC. It's called a committee. That's AIPAC, American Israeli Public Affairs Committee, is now going to spend $100 million, twice what it, four times what it did in 2020, to try to defeat members of the squad. And it's doing it because they are anti Semitic, they're anti Israel, they're pro Hamas, they're pro terrorists, and they really deserve to be called former congressmen. Uh huh. Here Good. in our area. Uh, George Latimer uh, is uh, from Westchester County, uh, the Westchester County executive, is considering a challenge to Bowman, Jamal Bowman of New York. And I think, I don't know if he's, I think Latimer is a Democrat, and I don't care if he's a communist, I would vote for anybody against uh, against Bowman. Bowman and against all of these squad members. They're horrible people. They're anti-American. And I don't say they don't belong in Congress. They do. I just think they do better in what used in the uh, Reichstag or the um, <laughs> or the uh, Parliament in Russia. I forget <laughs> the name of it. Yeah, <laughs> they would do much. the The issue is not congressmen. The issue is United States congressmen that needs to change. <laughs> Dick, do me a favor. Yeah. What is APAC again? American Israeli Public Affairs Committee. A I P A C. Got it. Got it. Um, and uh, I just want to uh, let me while we're waiting go to uh, Andrew and Stanhope about 
Obama and natural gas. Right. Um, the left that opposes um, natural gas, even Obama supported it. He said it would be, quote, a good transitional yeah. fuel for the next 15, sure 20 is. years. It has half and the I carbon think- emissions of coal, half the carbon emissions of oil. And, yeah, we can't do renewable energy all over the place now, particularly not with China controlling our rare earth minerals. Um, and natural gas is a very good halfway house. Thanks for pointing that out, Andrew. Uh, so I, I just want to repeat something I said earlier in the show. I'm not allowed, nor will I, ask you to donate money to anybody. But uh, I have personally given a given money to Rudy Giuliani's defense fund, and you can find it online. And uh, if there's anybody that needs your money or deserving of your money right now, uh, I, I believe for me personally, uh, this had a priority. And I'm the just passing The most important man in New York City in the world, yeah, Rudy well, Giuliani. Now I think the second most important man in the country after Donald Trump. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Love Rudy. So thank you, folks. This was fun. It's an honor. Thank you very much.